It's just to acknowledge the Lord's presence here today. Father God, we thank you for your presence here. We acknowledge you, Father. We acknowledge you, Jesus, the name above every other name in heaven and earth. The risen Saviour, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, present amongst your people here today. We pray, Lord, you'd help us to just reverence your presence, to be aware of you, to honour you with our hearts and our lips. Holy Spirit, we welcome you. And I pray, Father, that anything that is said or done here today would be your words. And that you would lead us, Father. Because you're the one who is perfect. You're the one who has the words of eternal life. And as we open your word today, we pray, Lord, you would speak. And Lord, we seek to honour you today, particularly as we come around the table. We pray, Father, you'd, you'd unlock to us the truth of your word. And the relationship that you have, you want to have with each one of us here today. So we commit ourselves to you, Father God, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. <clears throat> now maybe you weren't here last week. I was speaking last Sunday morning from John chapter 6. And God for, was leading me towards uh, this passage, and I've kind of stayed in this passage as I prepared for this Sunday morning, so I'm going to kind of continue as you were uh, from there. So if you want to turn, turn to John chapter 6, please. And I do just pray that God would speak today. And that my words would be lost completely. And it's God's word. We're going to be reading scripture. Just pray that God would speak today. So last week we looked at John chapter 6. And I separated into three parts of the story. And the first part was the the feeding of the 5,000. That miraculous event where a wee boy comes with his loaves and fishes. And Jesus multiplies it. And it feeds 5,000 men plus women and children. So there's this very practical demonstration of the of the power of Jesus Christ, yeah? He was walking around working miracles and this was one of it bound to be one of the greatest, isn't it? Imagine that five thousand, maybe ten thousand people total fed and we were actually talking after the service last Sunday morning and Andrew, I think it was Andy we're talking, and Andrew was saying, you know, the bit he likes about it the most is there wasn't just enough uh, for everybody to be fed for the for the thousands that were there. There was the twelve baskets left over. And what Andrew had said was that that kind of deals with the sceptics. <laughs> if there were any sceptics left. <laughs> I mean, if it wasn't incredible enough that the, all the thousands of people were fed, they were fed to overflowing. And it also says in the passage they ate as much as they wanted. So there was no sort of portion size as you tend to get. It's just as well. The portion size, some of the stuff, it would be enormous, wouldn't it? But uh, on those days, the people were very, very hungry, and they would have had hunger, and they would have, you know, it was a real need, and it says they ate all that they needed. So here's an example of the way Jesus works miracles, and the way that he provides, God provides gifts to us. It's super abundantly more. I think that's the word, super abundantly more than we could ever ask or imagine. That's the kind of way that God pours out blessing and that he wants to pour out blessing. So there was a practical need there. God met that need. And there was the visual symbol, the visual symbol that was focused in on in John chapter 6 was this idea of Jesus ultimately being the bread of life. And the people of God saw what he did 
and remembered the Old Testament time in the, in the desert in Moses' day when God had supernaturally provided bread from heaven, manna. And that day by day, as they walked in the wilderness, God provided a practical provision for them. So the people who saw Jesus and saw him working this miracle, it says in John chapter 6, I'm not going to read back all the passage again, but it says they remembered and they actually questioned Jesus about it. But Jesus starts elevating their thinking because the manna was a a day-to-day practical provision, yes? But it didn't last. It was God-given and it was miraculous and it it met the needs of the people just like that day when Jesus fed the 5,000 in this day. But what Jesus was saying is there's, there's bread from heaven that gives eternal life because your forefathers died. That life was temporal. But God wants to give us eternal life through the bread from heaven. So that's the title of my message today, that Jesus is the bread. Jesus is the bread from heaven. We're going to meet later on round the table, and it's a really precious thing to do, and I just trust that maybe God's laid this in my heart just to help us again as we come to honour the Lord in his command to believers to meet around his table and to remember his body broken for us and his blood that was shed for us. It's a precious thing. And it, we're going we're to dwell on this subject today. Jesus is the bread f- from heaven. John chapter 6, verse 28. <clears throat> then the people asked him, what must, what must we do to do the works God requires? Jesus answered, the work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. We'll just pause there. So the people were looking for what work God required in order to get into a right relationship with them. And Jesus said, the work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. That's going to be a theme just running through today. Faith. Jesus is saying to the people, you need to believe. It's not about the practical things that you're going to do. It's not about the rituals that you'll do. And he's speaking to people that were used to going through those ways of ritual and sacrifice and all of the Old Testament practices. He's talking to Jewish people, yes? And he's saying the work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent, to believe in him. Quite radical change, isn't it? A radical message. So they asked him, what miraculous sign then will you do to give, to give so that we may see it and believe you? What will you do? Our forefathers ate the manna in the desert, as it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus said to them, I tell you the truth, it is not Moses who has given you the bread from heaven, but it is my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Sir, they said, from now on give us this bread. Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will never go hungry, and he who believes in me will never be thirsty. But as I told you, you have seen me, and you still do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never drive away, for I have come down from heaven, not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I shall lose none of all that he has given me, but raise them up on the last day. For my Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life, and I will raise him up on that last day. 
At this the Jews began to grumble about him because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. They said, is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How can he now say, I came down from heaven? There's a number of times, as I went through that just in preparation for the message today, there's a number of times it says there, he came down from heaven. Yeah? He's emphasising to them to look away from earthly things and to look into the spiritual, look the spiritual eyes and look at some spiritual truths. He says, I am the bread that came down from heaven. But the people there were focused on really earthly things and that's what we tend to do, isn't it? You know, if I meet you down the street, Nancy, I'll, I'll know you live in Auchinloch. And you get a bus sometimes and I'll know, I'll know roughly where you come from and roughly what your movements are. And the people there were, were, were relating to Jesus like that. They said, is this not Jesus? This is the son of Joseph. Whose father and mother we know. So they knew... His upbringing. They knew his, you know, uh, Joseph and, and Mary bringing him up. And they couldn't equate what Jesus was saying. He was making statements about coming down from heaven. And Jesus is making these radical statements about being a bread, bread sent from heaven. He who comes down from heaven, verse 33. So they're assuming there that Jesus had an origin. They're assuming... That Jesus had a beginning. Yeah? I looked up the word origin. It says the point or place where something begins. Arises or is derived. Beginning, start, commencement, genesis, birth. They're assuming that Jesus' earthly birth was his only birth. <laughs> and was, was the time that he was made alive. But go back to John chapter 1, the very same gospel. If you go back to John chapter 1, verse 1, it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through all things, through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. So the Jews were claiming that the origin of Jesus was his earthly birth. And pointing to earthly parent figures but Jesus' true origin was eternal it says there quite clearly in John in chapter 1 that Jesus is God Yeah, that's a fundamental truth and it's a, it's a truth that in other uh, sometimes people who call themselves Christians don't believe that truth but it's fundamental to the understanding that we have of the, of the gospel to know that Jesus Christ is God as God the Father, God the Son and God the Holy Spirit one God, three persons of the Trinity. And those persons are explained there in John chapter 1. Amen? You also see it in Genesis. I'll not go back to that, but you see it in Genesis as well. The persons of the Godhead. Jesus is God. He's eternal. Jesus didn't begin life in Bethlehem. We're thinking about that time uh, now. We're coming up to Christmas time. When the first cry happened of that baby in Bethlehem, that wasn't the beginning of life for Jesus. He's God. Isn't that incredible? Powerful. 
He is the eternal God. But they're struggling to take that in, that truth in. Jesus responds to their objections. It says they were grumbling. <laughs> you ever grumbled? I never grumbled. Did I grumble, Nicola? No. Aye. Yeah. Do you grumble? <laughs> no. <laughs> um, Jesus said, so they're grumbling. They're not happy because what Jesus is saying is changing what they currently believe. It's coming right against some things. They're not, they're expecting a Messiah to come. Now, the Jewish people were expecting the Messiah, but they didn't see it in Jesus at this point in time. They saw this as an ordinary, an ordinary man, not somebody they were expecting. Jesus said, stop grumbling, verse 43. Stop grumbling amongst yourself, Jesus answered. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. I'm not going to read all the verses there, but the Jews were essentially asking for temporary food. They were asking Jesus to work miracles like like God had worked in the past for them. But Jesus was saying that's just that's temporary food. What I'm really here to do is provide eternal life from God. The bread from heaven I'm speaking about is me. The gift from God that will bring you eternal life ultimately. Arguments continue, and I'm not going to read in all the verses there. But Jesus then starts to talk about um, verse 53. Jesus said to them, I tell you the truth, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you will have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. For my flesh is real food and my blood is real drink. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me and I in him. Just as the Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so the one who feeds on me will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven. Your forefathers ate manna and died, but he who feeds on the bread will live forever. He said this while teaching in the synagogue in Capernaum. So, so Jesus is speaking in stronger terms here than he had previously. He talked generally about bread, and now he's talking about bread and blood, his flesh and blood. And he's talking with really strong imagery here. But really what he's doing is he's trying to emphasise the truth. He's getting opposition here. There's grumbling. There's, and he's, he's, he's going at it even more strongly. But there, there can sometimes be different interpretations about what this actually means. This imagery of eating flesh and, and drinking blood. But Jesus is clearly emphasising the point he made earlier that you have to have faith right so let's remember chapter 6 verse 40 for my father's will is that everyone who looks to the son and believes in him shall have eternal life yeah it's through faith looking to the son and believing in him that we have that eternal life in verse 29 it says the work of God is this to believe in the one he has sent so eating Jesus' flesh and drinking his blood is an image representing what happens when you trust in Jesus. Amen? Does that make sense? You trust in him and believe in him and appropriated to you is eternal life. Now at this point Jesus hadn't fulfilled his mission on earth. It hadn't been completed yet. This mission was for Jesus to go to the cross and die. And his body was to be broken. And his blood was to be shed. 
Because without the shedding of blood, the scripture teaches us there would be no forgiveness of sins. The perfect sacrifice of God was that he had to, he had to endure that suffering. Praise the Lord for that. Aren't we, are you so thankful today that the Lord did that? But we receive it. Let's not get confused. We receive it through faith. Yes? Faith in Jesus. He's emphasizing the need for people to put their faith in him for salvation. The imagery he's using points to the future, to his sacrifice on the cross. And his sacrifice of broken body and shed blood brings life to all those who would place their faith in him. And I just want to, as well, just take a look back at Jesus' birth on earth. We are entering that point uh, time of year. The kids are next door getting ready for their nativity. Um, But Jesus' birth in Bethlehem was prophesied almost 700 years before it happened. And the prophecy explained the place that he would be born. If you go to Micah, you don't have to turn to it, Micah chapter 5 verse 2. It says, But you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from old, from ancient times. So this is the prophet Micah speaking, again, almost 700 years prior to Jesus being born, saying that he would be born in an exact location in Bethlehem. It's powerful, isn't it? This town of Bethlehem was south of Jerusalem. It was the birthplace of King David and later of Jesus. The name Bethlehem means house of bread. House of bread. Because the area was a grain producing area in Old Testament time. It just made me think about Jesus, the emphasis he made on being the bread sent from heaven. There's bread in Bethlehem. I was once listening to a a message by a preacher and he was saying, there's bread in Bethlehem. He was was jumping about shouting. (laughs) What he was saying was, Jesus was born. When the Saviour came, they they could have shouted from the heavens, uh, there's bread in Bethlehem. And, And interestingly, the place was known for being a house of bread. How God often speaks to his people and to the world in a future sense. And the reason he does that prophetically does things like get his prophet to say 700 years from now there'll be a king born in Bethlehem. It's to prove that it's God that's speaking. If I try and attempt right now to stand up and predict 700 years in the future, it's not going to happen. Unless God has given me a specific word, I'm not going to go there. Right, But 700 years beforehand A prophet is given a word to confirm that when Jesus comes he's going to be born in Bethlehem, the house of bread. The place of King David and again it it confirms that line of David which is also predicted in the Old Testament that the Saviour would be born in the line and in the house of David which is Bethlehem. And we think about the gift that God gives us at Christmas time. The, the gift is the gift of eternal life. The gift of God providing that eternal 
access to life. I had a wee slice of bread last night at supper time as I was preparing this message. And when you think about it, bread is temporal. It's a basis basis for earthly life, but it's temporal. God's provided these things, but they don't last. But the minute you give your heart to Jesus, you've got life eternal. Hallelujah. Amen. And we know that everybody that's ever trusted in Jesus for salvation has eternal life. You have it immediately, and you have it when when you die eternally. The provision just goes on and on. Salvation is eternal. What a joy. What a hope we have as Christians. When somebody asks you for a reason for the hope you have. You talk about your salvation. You talk about the provision of Jesus. The bread from heaven. Eternal life. Amen. There's a world out there who are seeking things to satisfy and we can get caught up in it sometimes as well, can't we? Seeking things to satisfy, things that are temporal. But what a, what, what a message we have to share uh, with them. Christmas time is a good opportunity actually to, to talk about the faith you have. To mention some of these things we're mentioning today. Some of the evidences of the Lord's birth. And most of all, you've got a testimony. You trust in Jesus, he let, his presence is in you. Eternal life is outworking itself in you. And you can have an impact on those around you when you share the message and when folks see your life. And I would just share a chat. I'm just going to close just shortly. Um, Well, maybe I've got a song to play before communion time. Or maybe just take some time just to pray and just focus on uh, the Lord's table as well. But just before I finish... Are you sure today you've made that commitment to the Lord to really trust in him? When he went to the cross at Calvary, he did it for you. And the scriptures teach us that we must confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead. And if we do those things, we'll be saved. And if you haven't done that today, you can do that. There's bread, there's provision for you, there's eternal life for you. Why wouldn't, why wouldn't you accept it? If someone came to you with temporal bread, temporal food, like we're going to come out from here and every one of you, we're all going to go for lunch. Who's not going to go for lunch? Maybe not. <laughs> but at some point today, before the sun goes down, we're, probably, we're going to eat something. Because we have natural needs. Which one of us would not want to Receive from God eternal life, being with Him forever. And maybe, or maybe you've you've accepted the Lord a while back, but it just doesn't feel like it's close anymore. It doesn't feel that it's central to your life. Well, if you've ever received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you've received eternal life. Amen. You've received it. It says in another scripture, actually in the same passage, about each one that the Father has given me, that Jesus says he will not lose. I'm paraphrasing. All that the Father gives me, will, verse 37, all that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me, I will never drive away. Whoever comes to me, I will never drive away. 
I really do believe that the scripture teaches you don't lose your salvation. That once you've accepted the Lord Jesus Christ as your saviour, it's a once and for all time transaction. So regardless of how we feel at any point in time, if you've committed your life to the Lord Jesus at a point in time, you've received salvation. The important thing for us is to walk in communion with him. And this is actually where when we come to the table, the scripture teaches us to examine ourselves. So if we've made a commitment to the Lord Jesus, it's only if we've made a commitment to Jesus that we should partake of the, the symbols. These are symbols of his body and his blood. But it's only for believers, it's only for those that have trusted in Christ. Otherwise it would make no sense whatsoever to take part in it, and it wouldn't be right. But the scripture also says for Christians to examine themselves when they come before the table. Why? Because it's important that we we confess our sins to the Lord as Christians. And it's also important that we're we're not doing things in a in an irreverent way. So when the church was written to in 1 Corinthians, it was because they were, they were behaving really poorly when it came to the Lord's Supper. They were meeting together and, and they were all grabbing food. And some were full and some were hungry. And their behaviour wasn't great. They were forgetting the whole point of why they were gathering together. They were gathering together to remember the Lord Jesus. So there's a reverence in understanding why we do this. And, and there's to worship the Lord and to remember his death until he comes again. And also just to prayerfully come before him and just thank him again. To remember the cross. That's why I asked Elizabeth to sing a song about the gospel. A song about the cross. You need to come back to the cross. Communion takes you back to the cross. We should always remember what the Lord has done for us and always rejoice in it as well. Rejoice in that forgiveness and that eternal life. And use it as a, a fresh time to come before the Lord in confession and in praise. Lord God, we give you thanks for your word to us today. Father, I just pray that you'd really take take the offering of our hearts today, Lord, and help it to be help it to be what you would want it to be, Lord, in Jesus' name. Lord, you know my heart. I just pray that your word would go deep into us today, where you're speaking to my heart, and it's about relationship with you. It's about you love us, and you want to have that communion with us. And I pray you bless each person here today, Father, that we may know that closeness, first of all in salvation, but also as a believer, that we'd know the closeness of you as we seek to honour you and remember you today around your table. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.